Like many, I'd like to think that we have a close family. We do a lot together, even before lockdown. With our son, even now at 19, we holiday together, we go out for meals or the cinema together, and so on. We have fun. But is there a risk that the modern approach to being friends with our children is at the expense of some of the more traditional elements of our parenting role? Discipline and authority, for example. And could that have a lasting effect on this generation, not to mention a short-term impact on their education? Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, the founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this series, I talk to a range of experts, parents and students about how we can get the most out of studying at home. From nutrition to sleep and from stress to mental health, we'll be exploring how best to support young people. There'll be a new episode out every Friday morning, so subscribe, review and don't be afraid to share with others who you think might benefit from what our experts are saying. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Catherine Burblesing. As well as being an author, proud contrarian, and a prolific but often outspoken speaker about the education system, Catherine is the founder and headmistress of the Michaela Community School in London, reportedly Britain's strictest school. Catherine, many thanks for joining me today. To get things going, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about your own school days and what kind of a student you were. Well, I suppose uh, I was quite a good kid. You know, I was in the top set and I worked hard. Although, I don't know, even I would take home my viola and never practice it. Um, And I I used to try and get out of as much of of PE as possible. I couldn't stand it. So, you know, even the good kids are trying to get away with stuff because they're kids, right? Um, And I uh, did some part-time work in McDonald's uh, and there were some cool kids at McDonald's I like to hang out with instead of, um, you know, doing more of the school stuff. So, you know, all kids get distracted. It's, it's part of being a kid. So I grew up in Canada and uh, until the age of 15. And then I came over here to England and I did my A-levels here. And then I ended up at, at Oxford. And, I, you know, I've, I've since stayed. I, n- I never left, you know. And so now I'm in my mid-40s um, and Britain is very much my home. But they were, they were, they were different times being in my mid-40s as well. They were, they were different part times back then and as I understand it your father was an educator as well how much mm. how much do you think that influenced your um, your work ethic at school as you say being in top sets and, and wanting to do well going through University of Oxford and so on I think yeah a lot probably I mean um, I mean my mother's a nurse so you know it was an interesting family in that sense my father uh, taught at university so he took education very seriously and we were a kind of um, typical immigrant family in the sense that, you know, you know they, they'd gone to Canada in order to give their children a better life. And, um, and they were doing everything they could to make sure their children would access a better life. But, but as is so often um, in these kinds of families, sometimes there's, um, you know, there's, the, the children can feel put upon because they're not quite sure if they're with their, you know, they're not quite sure if they belong to the culture that their parents are from, or if they really what what they prefer is the culture that they're with with their friends and so on well there's just a there's a tension that pulls there i think uh for immigrant children in particular and but but i think the influence from my father was a good one you know he always prized reading and wanted us to do well at school so and all children want to please their parents i know that parents listening might not feel like that but i do believe that um all children deep down want to please their parents and they want the love of their parents. 
it's what's key is to uh, make it clear to your children what makes you happy and really praise them and reward them when they do the stuff that makes you happy. And and the thing that makes them happiest really is is spending time with you. And and that's that that's key. And and I know again, parents will say, "Oh, but you know, that's not true. He just wants to lock himself in his room and so on." But um, I think if from a young age they've got used to spending lots of time with you and getting your attention, and that that attention is given to them when they're doing lots of their violin or lots of their uh, maths homework or lots of reading with them or whatever it is you want them to do, then they get into a habit. I, I think the key thing is habit that people often uh, underestimate, both for their children and for themselves, that the reason why we do most things, you know, why do you drink your coffee in the morning? Why do you go to bed at a particular time? And so on. it's just habit. It's what you're used to doing. And the trick really is to get your children into a habit at the youngest age possible. I mean, ideally before the age of five. So I know this is meant to be for teenagers, but you know, you want to do it before they're five. And if you can, then it just becomes normal. So by the time they're 15 and they're, they're rebellious and they're kicking back and so on, well, you've already got them in that training from when they were five years old, you know. I think certainly for me, with a 14 and a 19-year-old, we're, we're a little past the five-year-old stage. Yes. We could have had this a while back. <laughs> There's an element, I suppose, of, of aspiration from a parent. So your, your parents, um, your mum being a nurse and your dad as an educator, had an aspiration for you to do well. Mm. And do you think then that's yes. more the driving force? That, that help them, I suppose, almost accidentally, I guess, create these habits that you would have got into? I do think children want to please their parents. And uh, if you can manage, and I'm not, you know, I'm not blaming anyone, even parenting is hard. And, um, and, it, and, it, and it's so hit and miss as well, because it depends on the influences that your child comes under at school, on social media, you know, you could get lucky. Also, just in terms of their personality, some children are, are just more likely to follow the rules and some others are, are are more rebellious, you know. You know, I often say to parents, look, you know, some of us luck out and we just get that easy girl who reads all the time and she loves working and, and some of us end up with that naughty boy who who isn't listening to anything you say and, and that's, that's the situation we find ourselves. So what are we going to do to fix this? Because the thing is, is that in the end, it, it's your child. So you need to do whatever you can to try and um, support them through through who they are and discovering themselves and and figuring out what work, what works best for them so that they can fulfill their potential. And um, I think what's key to remember is one, children like pleasing their parents. They really do. And they want their attention. The key thing is that children want their children, their parents' attention. And um, they will copy their parents. You know, that's another key thing. So, um, you know, if you're on your phone all the time, well, your child is going to be on their phone all the time. If you you know, are always chatting to your friends and so on, well, then they're going to do the same thing, you know. It, it is about that habit. What is the culture of your home? If the culture is to have the television on all the time and you kind of sit and eat dinner in front of the TV and there's just, you know, there's, there's any sense of structure, then that's how your child is going to be unstructured in their own organization of their time. So when you turn around and say, get on and study with your GCSEs, well, you know, to study with the GCSEs, they have to have the ability to structure their time. And so one thing I always suggest to kids at school is, you know, try and break it down into 30 minute blocks and then give yourself a five minute, 10 minute break and then do your English for 20, 25 minutes and then give yourself a five to 10 minute break. So other suggestions I use are to use a timer and to time your time that you're studying and then to actually time your break so that things don't unravel. And so that structure, you see, 
if you're in a household where, well, you're not just watching TV all the time and there's a set dinner time and there's a set bedtime and there's a bath time and that you've been doing that since you were five, then it, it that kind of, it's just natural to you. And so by the time you come to really needing it to, to, to revise your GCSEs, that'll be there. And so now I'm not saying, you know, with, the, with your 14 year old, for instance, you don't then just say, oh gosh, well, I never did that, give up, that's the end. You know, obviously one can, one can salvage, one can do something. Um, and so tips like what I'm saying about using a timer, timing the breaks, also little rewards. So, you know, a young child, you might give them an M&M every time they do something well when they're doing their work. You say, oh, well done. Now, just the, oh, well done, that's so fantastic. It's music to a child's ear. They love it. You know, you can even buy little stampers that say, well done and fantastic. And, you know, you go up to them on their work that they're working on and you stamp their work. You would be amazed. 16-year-old boys in the inner city who rob stores and do all sorts of nonsense. Um, you put a little gold star on their work and they have the biggest smiles. So, you know, <laughs> you will get any child with, with, with praise and with a stamp and a little tick. The other thing you can do, the, the whole idea of structure is funny because when you describe me as, well, people describe me as this super strict teacher and super strict school. But um, it's not that we're strict. We just have structure. And structure is everything to a child. And I wonder how much, so you, could you talk about obviously starting this early, preferably sort of by five. And when they're younger than that, we're, we're quite used to having these routines. It's time for their nap, time for their feed. And, and so mm. actually as, as new parents, exactly. we're... we're quite used to having this this rigmarole and and sticking to it religiously almost there comes a point though that we and i think almost universally now modern parenting is saying that we're not and that parent lead child follow is is almost a thing of the past i wonder do you think that we are becoming really too soft as parents well i mean it's just what you just said it's a thing of the past and it really shouldn't be i mean i'm constantly saying to parents when they're 12 it's just like when they're five i mean it really is i mean like and we must remember that um they are children uh and they need to be led by their parents and by their teachers and i don't think we should feel ashamed of that sadly i think in the 21st century we're made to feel uncomfortable about the idea of authority and that's because somehow, you know, people seem to think that if you're an authority, then you're Hitler. And you really are not Hitler. Um, you're just being a good parent. And you should embrace that sense of authority. And when I say you are the authority, what I mean is you're in charge. Um, your child shouldn't be in charge. You're in charge. You make the rules. Now, that doesn't mean that um, you don't that maybe have a discussion with them about how it should be done and what, what they might prefer. So, you know, you don't sit there and bark at them and say, you have to do your revision at five and you have no choice about it. And then you're going to sleep at this time. You talk about it with them. And one of the things I always suggest to parents is perhaps you could even write it out and have a bit of a contract. Okay. So what time are we going to start our revision on a Monday? How, what time is it going to finish? Okay. Well, I think we should have dinner at this time. Do you agree with that? Okay. When are we going to, um, you know, brush our teeth? What time are we going to bed? And once that's all agreed, um, you know, both the parent and the child kind of signs it. And I mean, you come to the point of having this kind of contract when you really have a difficult situation. I mean, I'm not saying every parent should do this. This is only when you, you're, you're, you're pulling your hair out and you're going, oh, I don't know what to do, right? So you, you get this contract written and then you, you have a, a list of things, rewards, and you have a list of punishments. Uh, sometimes parents can get really angry when the child doesn't want them to do something, or doesn't want to do something, and they take everything away. That's it. I'm taking your phone, I'm taking the TV, and you're never going to see your friends again, <laughs> and that's the end of everything. Well, and I'm always like, no, 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 no. We have to slow down. If you take it everything from, then there's no, there's nothing to work towards. So you have to take something, and then, and you could even write it out so it's really clear. 
And then they know, oh gosh, I've, I've messed up there. That goes, number one goes. Okay, I messed up there, number two goes. And you're building towards, you know, the PlayStation, which is their most prized possession or whatever it is, you know. So, and, and then you've also got rewards. So meeting up with their friends, going to the cinema, whatever it is, uh, being allowed time to go on PlayStation, allowed time on Snapchat or whatever it is. So you've got those options and that you're kind of, constantly bargaining with them in a way. Oh, when I say bargaining, you're not bargaining. That's the wrong word. You're you're just doing this dance where where they they get it right. Well done. Here's X. Oh, you've got it wrong. Tut tut. Here this is Y is happening. And you're going back and forth between X and Y so that they know that you are involved. That that is remember what I said about them wanting your attention. They really want it. If they know you're watching them and that you're involved with them, and you're talking to them about their work, and you're finding out about it, they are going to make more of an effort with it. If they think they can fob you off, a piece of work they did three weeks ago, have you done your history homework? Yeah, yeah, mum, look here. And they flap some paper in your face, and you go, oh, fine. (laughs) They'll just flap that same piece of paper in your face each time, and they haven't actually done it. One suggestion I often make to parents is that when they're working, you actually go to the piece of paper that they're working on at that point. So let's say they've filled up a half a page. At that half page, you sign your name and you put the date and time. And then the next time you come back to it, you can see where your signature was to see if they've done any more work. And plus they can see where your signature was. So they then know, oh gosh, I've only done three more lines and mom's gonna come back in in 20 minutes. I better do some more, you know? Um, so that, that's a good way of holding them to account. They, they need to feel like you have eyes in the back of your head. And I don't mean that in a negative and nasty way. They need to feel that you're involved and that you care about their learning because they will care about what you care about. That is key. And if you can prove to them that you care about their schoolwork, not in the way of get in your room and do your work, let's sit down and do this together. You know, I haven't done, you know, trigonometry for 20 years. I can't remember it. Shall we do it together? Let's find out about it together. Oh, I don't know how to do that. Let's look it up on the internet. Or I'm going to ring some friend of mine who has a friend who's a maths teacher and ask him. You know, that sort of thing. I think what I love there is I think we we tend to focus on the reward bit as parents because um, that's the nice thing to do in inverted commas. But actually, I suppose a lack of cause and effect on the other side as well, isn't there? That actually, if you do, if you don't do this, this will happen. And we tend to shy away, I think, from... The, the punishment aspect of when things go wrong. So as you say, although alarmingly, you did just completely um, retell the story of Jake going through his GCSEs with me just taking broadly everything <laughs> apart from the clothes on his back away from him <laughs> in one foul swoop um, before yes. realising that wasn't necessarily effective because there was nothing left to take, as you say. Yeah. How, how important is it that you have the light and the shade of if you do something well, if you try hard or you achieve, depending on your perspective, then this this good thing will happen. But actually, if you don't do it, there's that you've got to know there's a consequence to your action. It's everything. You've got to have both. You've got to have both. Children understand punishment and reward, and they, it's very clear. And they, you need to be clear about what will give them the rewards and what will give them the punishments. Because if they are not clear on that, so when our children join us in year seven, we spend an entire week uh, just with year seven where we're teaching them how to behave in a Michaela way according to our school rules. And the reason why we do that is because children have agency and they can choose to do the right thing or the wrong thing. It isn't the case that they're unable to choose. Too often, I think these days we think, oh, but he's a child. He wasn't able to choose. No, he, he is choosing as long as you've taught them what the correct way is first. So you've got to be clear. Once they know 
what the right thing is and the wrong thing is, then you are absolutely justified in coming through with the punishment for choosing the wrong, you know, the wrong way. And um, they want you to do that. They're they're desperate for it. It's what children, children want us to be adults. They're desperate for us to hold that position of authority and to love them. That is what loving is. A child does not want you to allow him to spin out of control and have no order or structure and to fail his GCSEs. He wants you to hold him to account because it makes him into a better person. And he's depending on you as his parent to to, to hold the line. And the thing is, holding the line is really hard. (laughs) So when I'm talking to parents, I'm kind of going, I'm talking, you know, like, Churchill, they were going into battle and I'm saying, come on, parents, you can do this. You've got to hold the line. And they're all there going, yes, yes, we'll do it. We'll do it. We promise you. And, you know, and, and some of them come up to me and they say, okay, you've inspired me. I'm going to get back to it. I'm going in there and I'm taking away that phone and I'm not, I'm not coming out until I've got it. You know, now the thing is, you know, the thing is, is that it's hard. And, and that's why I do my best to try and inspire them and to motivate the parents because and then what happens is they'll do it and they manage to hold it together for two weeks and then they give up because it's just so exhausting, you know. And obviously people have full-time jobs and they have other children, it's not just one and, and so on. So, you know, this is not me saying it's easy. I understand it's really, really hard. But that doesn't mean we give up because if we give up, then well, we've given up on our children, right? And the thing is, they want us, they're desperate for us to, to take the lead because they are children and they need leading by us. And when they're 25, they will thank you. That's often a response I say to parents. I say, you know, you just just say, I know you don't like me now, but when you're 25, you're gonna love me for this. You really are. And the thing is, is that I'm the adult in the situation, so I have to follow through and I've got to hold the line. And I know that you don't like me for this right now and recognize how they're feeling. That's key. So when you say to them, look, I I know this doesn't make you happy right now, and to be honest, it doesn't make me happy either. But this is my job. I'm your, I'm your dad. And it's my job to do this. And I've got to follow through with my job because I'm, otherwise I'm letting myself down and I'm letting you down. And I don't want to let you down because when you're 25, I don't want you to turn around and say, Dad, why didn't you hold the line? I, I, I want to be able to turn around and say, you know what? You hated me when you were 14. But now look at how brilliant you are. Look at what you've turned into. And it's thanks to the fact that I held the line and took the hard road when you were younger that you are the success that you are now. It's funny you should say that because there was there was a conversation that I distinctly remember having with Jake when he was probably pre-GCSE time and I think there'd been a punishment or there'd been something and um, he, I remember him saying, that's not, that's not very friendly. And, I remember, and looking back and thinking, but actually I'm, I'm not here to be your mate at the moment. At the moment I'm dad, which I guess is exactly what you're saying, that, that, that my job is to hold the line, which I definitely didn't call it at that point, um, but, to, but to see this through, to, to try to knock off some of the rough edges to help you become, a, um, hopefully, a, a better person. Mm, exactly. And I, guess that, exactly. and I guess that if we were to start this earlier, there, would you see there as being a, a tapering effect that if you were to have the structure, the discipline, develop the good habits, as you, as you described earlier, when they were that much younger, that actually by the time they come to 16 there's a, a a meeting of minds that actually they are as yes. involved in these kinds of decisions. This isn't um, this isn't tyranny you're talking about. That's right. That's right. So if you've done it right from the start, and and it's succeeded. So for those children at school who are just working right now, for instance, uh, while we're out of um, 
you know, school. There are some children who are working really hard, who are taking the lead, who don't need the parents to lead them at all. They're leading themselves. But that's because their parents led them once upon a time. And eventually the child takes off. It's like a bird, you know, you're looking after it and then they just fly on their own and they can fly because you have done such a good job of leading them for however long. And some children, you don't have to lead them for, you know, some children take five years, six years, seven years, eight years, however long, you know, and, and then they can lead more and more themselves as they, as they grow up in a structured environment, in an orderly environment, one where they're used to, because those patterns and those habits have just become part of who they are. And they then, it's second nature to them to think, right, well, I've got to sit at my desk to do my work. I can't just be lounging around on the sofa. I've got to have a pen and a pencil and a ruler and a calculator next to me before I start my work. I've got to have this exercise book opened at this page. Now, and don't give up if parents are listening and they're saying, oh, but my child's 15 and she doesn't listen to anything I say. It's not the end of the world. You just go to the extreme uh, suggestions that I was making about the contracts and the writing things down and the timers and so on. You know, if you have a child who's already instilled with these habits and so on, you don't necessarily need timers. You don't need contracts. You don't need any of that. So the other thing I always say to families, I mean, if they're a bit younger than that, you know, 12, 13, reading together, uh, I mean, you can do it when they're older too, but obviously when you're running out of time towards GCSEs, people often put reading to the side, uh, but great if you have time for it, where the you're sat together reading, and you could even, depending on if your child really struggles at reading, uh, I would say one of you reads a paragraph out loud, the other one reads a paragraph out loud. Then back and forth, you're just swapping over, reading stuff out loud. If If your child is a reader, then great, you just let them read. But if they're a struggling reader, you sit down with them half an hour every day and you do some reading. And that, I would say, you're doing that from age five. You know, well, I say from the moment they're born, frankly, you're reading to them. <laughs> but where they are reading with you is from the moment that they can read. And, and you keep doing that throughout their lives. And lo and behold, you'll find that they just love reading in the end and then they will read on their own. Um, but then that also requires a real uh, restriction on the uh, phone and social media and so on. Because a book cannot compete with uh, computer games. It just can't. Computer games, loads of color, loads of bang, 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 whiz, whiz, whiz. You know, a, a book is flat and it's black and white. So you've got to remember that if you're allowing them video games, it, it's very hard for a book to compete. There'll be some parents who will listen and say, I don't find that. My, my child reads and plays computer games and everything's wonderful. Well, great. However, not all children are able to do that. And um, a lot are become so distracted and so addicted to video games that they're unable to do anything else. My advice to parents is always, if you can just not give them video games at all, all the better. Uh, if you have given them video games, then restrict it to a very small part of their day. And there needs to be a lock on that where they just can't just pick up the video game and do it when whenever they want. Similarly, I say with phones that um, I, I tell parents not to give their children smartphones. The big tech CEOs in, um, in California, you know, people like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, when he was asked in 2010 what his children thought of the iPad, he said he didn't know wh why anyone was asking him that. Of course, his children didn't have the iPad. I mean, he would never give it to them. Bill Gates didn't give his children data on the phone until they were 16. And all of the big tech CEOs, names you won't have heard of, they're all like that. And what I always try and explain to parents is, look, you know, you've got these big billionaires who are flying around in private jets off your money 
because you're buying the things that they're selling you that they protect their own children from. So we've got to remember this. And they know, they really know the damage that this stuff does. Um, and it's not just that it breaks your brain, which it does. It's not just that it stops you from being able to concentrate, which it does. It's not just that you can no longer follow a narrative arc uh, of a book and, and, and have a concentration span and, and, um, and, and not become fidgety. And it doesn't, you know, it's not just that it affects your mental health and makes you depressed and anxious and all sorts. I mean, I could go on about the damage that these things do. It also just takes up loads of time <laughs> and it means you, you don't want to do anything else. In fact, Snapchat and Instagram and all of them, they actually have addiction teams of people, part of the addiction team. You're, you're employed. Your whole job is about getting, uh, uh, making the app more addictive. So Snapchat, for instance, um, when somebody's liked what you've put up, uh, they don't they don't tell you right away. They wait until you've been away from the app for 24 hours and then they let you know that information to be able to draw you back in. You know, this, and these are really uh, sinister methods that these apps use in order to manipulate with uh, addiction and children. These are children. And I think it, it's horrifying. For, I really, you know. And, and also, there's just so much danger out there with social media. You know, when your child is on social media and isn't being protected by you. So one of my colleagues, her children... Facebook and Instagram, but the, every picture they have of themselves, it's her with her child. So there's no picture of their child of her child on there on social media that's on their own. There's always a picture of them and their mother. <laughs> um, and you know, her 14 year old girl, when the boys come after her, they see a picture of her with her mother, right? And it gives a totally different impression, different impression. Sadly, I see so many girls on social media who are young girls, you know putting on lipstick, pouting their lips, putting out their bottoms, trying to make themselves look as old as possible. Um, and then they get involved with, with young men who are much older than them. Uh, boys who get involved with gangs and all sorts of awful stuff. You know, you, you, your child's on social media. Everyone knows who they are, their name, knows where they live, knows all their friends, knows what they enjoy, knows their route to school, knows their school. I mean, it, this is information you would never give to anyone. And yet, You've allowed perfect strangers. I mean, we had a situation at school where a pedophile was actually grooming one of our girls and who was 12 years old. Mother had no idea, you know? It was just by luck that she happened to find out. If you allow your child unsupervised access to the internet, you are putting them in grave danger. So, I mean, look, I know it's impossible because it's really hard. You know, I would suggest getting software, putting it on their, their devices, really watching what they're doing. You need to have eyes in the back of your head. And is there a danger, though, that you become overprotective and shield them from something that they're going to get exposed to at some point? I guess the analogy is it's dangerous to cross a road, but you wouldn't stop them from doing it. You need to, as a parent, as a, as a teacher, as a, as, a, as a society, make them aware of the dangers and help them to use it. Because certainly we've seen during lockdown that actually the, the tech that's emerging can be so incredibly useful that actually it's not necessarily worth the risks in the case of um, paedophiles or um, Jake had his identity stolen and was used dangerously a few years ago. So I mean, there are some awful, awful risks out there. Well, the thing is, you've got to remember they're children. So they're very naive and they don't realise. So this girl, she was talking to this 27-year-old man who was talking about coming in and out of the shower. She didn't. She just thought, oh, well, he likes me and that's really nice. You've got to remember that children are really easily flattered. And um, somebody pays them some attention. You know, they're a bit spotty. They're not that popular at school. And then somebody online pays them some attention. Well, they're going to take it. You know, they, 
they're, they're children. We've got to remember that. Now, um, of course, you've got to teach them. So I'm not saying ban them from the internet altogether. I'm saying don't give them unsupervised access to the internet. You've got to have eyes in the back of your head. So you're constantly watching. You're able to look at their history. Where have they been to? What are they doing? You're, you're, you, allow, you might allow them on Instagram. You've got your picture in there and you're making it clear and you're checking to see, you're looking at the history of their conversations to see what they're doing. Because um, if, if you don't do that, then you're just throwing them to the wolves. You really are. And you might get lucky. You know, so there'll be some parents listening to this saying, that's a load of nonsense. My child was on, was on social media and was just fine. Well, great. I'm really pleased that your child is okay, but not all, all children are. And I'm dealing with hundreds of them. And I can tell you <laughs> that many of them are, in, are in, at serious risk because their parents haven't understood the dangers. And I don't just mean the safety dangers. I also mean the dangers of being addicted. Children who are coming up towards the GCSEs who say to me, Miss, I'm just addicted. I can't stop it. I don't know what to do. And I can't get my work done. And I'm going to fail my GCSEs because I can't get off my phone. And they're desperate to get off the phone and they need someone to help them. You know, even adults struggle with this. So there are adults, I know colleagues of mine and so on, who have, have a, they, they take their phone when they go home and they stick it in another room and they go and do their work in another room because they know if their phone is next to them, they're not going to be able to do their work. Um, I know some who have screen time on and it turns off at eight o'clock. And that's it. They're not. That's it. They're no longer accessing social media after eight because the, otherwise they they wouldn't have the self control to be able to just not do it. So if that's the case for adults, it's a hundred times that for a child. And also the child is just not a child is a child. They're not fully developed, so they don't understand the dangers. I'm always saying to the children, look, you're literally making yourselves more stupid. So when you go along saying, well, I'm just not very good at maths. Well, actually, you could have been great at maths if you just weren't on your phone the whole time. And why are they on their phone the whole time? Because they haven't been given the, the structures. Now, so what I would, what we try and do with the parents is try and show them screen time on, on the iPhone, and you can then block it from certain times so you can insist, oh, I don't know, it, tur it turns itself off at 5 o'clock and, and turns itself back on at 7 o'clock so they've got two hours to do their work and then they can go on it for an hour. You've got to have structures. So I'm not saying not at all. I mean, better if not at all, right? <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, I have parents who, um, so I give them my inspirational talk about taking away the phone. Some of them do take away the phone. And they come back to me three weeks later and they say, thank you so much. I've got my boy back. His personality has changed. He used to be somebody who was who was angry all the time and been arguing with me and and uh, and was just such a was a, was a horrible child and now he's back to what he used to be and it, all I did was take away the phone you know so the benefits are huge now if you can't take away the phone and I do understand why you might not be able to I mean you know we've had children who go on hunger strikes and all sorts of craziness because they're so addicted but you need to realize it is an addiction. And is that really something that you want to encourage your child to be ad addicted? I mean, this is a, you know, like we could say, well, we want children to be free. They should be able to do whatever they want. So, you know, put out a whole array of drugs in front of them. Here's some cocaine, here's some heroin. Would you like to try it? It's up to you, you know, darling. It's up to you whether or not you want to try cocaine because you're the one in charge, but they're not in charge because they're children. And if you gave them cocaine, I bet you lots of them would try it because they're children. <laughs> so all of this stuff, and I'm not saying phones are like cocaine. I'm saying that it's an addictive substance and therefore you need to handle it with care. And to just think, oh, let's just let them free is I think it's just a bit naive. Catherine, thank you so much for your time and your insights. It's fair to say, You've given us plenty of food for thought. 
It would be too easy to dismiss what we've just heard as being traditionalist or old-fashioned. And while that might be true, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It certainly rings true with me that I've avoided, to a greater or lesser extent, the authority figure role that my parents played in my own childhood. Now, I think it's absolutely right that the family relationship has adapted and evolved. After all, these are different times to when I grew up. But I can't help but look back now to when my two were young and wonder whether I was overly worried that strictness was somehow unloving, which is obviously not the case. Or perhaps I was overcompensating for being busy at work when I actually just wanted to be with them. In any case, I can definitely see that giving in too easily or being swayed by what our children want as opposed to what they might need could actually be making things more difficult for them as they grow into independent humans. I am, I confess, not strong enough to prize my daughter's phone away from her. However, I can see that a sensible conversation might lead to better ground rules, which will ultimately help her find a better balance. As ever, my thanks to you for listening. I hope that you found this episode interesting and thought-provoking. If you have, please don't forget to review and rate. Every five stars helps us reach others. And of course, you too can help by sharing with those friends who you think might benefit. There's another episode next Friday, so please don't forget to subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.